These postscript shows are supported by Fanatic.com, the fin rental company that ships FCS, Futures, Rainbows Fins, all the brands straight to your mailbox. Thrusters, quads, twins, singles, anything you want to try, Fanatic has it and you can keep them as long as you want. Just send them back in a prepaid envelope that Fanatic provides. All of the shipping is covered in your $10 monthly subscription and you'll get your first month free by using our promo code PODCAST. But more importantly, you'll support this show, so thank you for that. This is a smoking deal, and it will improve your surf experience and expand your quiver. Fanatic.com, promo code PODCAST. Thanks again. My name is David Scales, and this is my postscript to the 2019 Margaret River can think of no other event on tour that has undergone a more radical transformation in how it's perceived by the viewing public than the Margaret River Pro. This is largely due to the evolution of how the wave is surfed and the addition of the roving venue format. The event has always been revered for its woolly open ocean challenge, especially when the swell delivers. But over the past six years, that has been coupled with opportunities for high performance surfing. Heroics at the Box and John John Florence's open face carves will be remembered in this 2019 iteration of the event, but there was also a subtle shift in the future of high performance surfing. Tech airs on three foot waves in wave pools pale in comparison to Yagodora's backside full rote at main break. Big sections provide big opportunities and they constitute big risk. You risk the wave, you risk the section, but more importantly, risking legitimate bodily harm. You're going faster, higher, with a variable wind. It's what makes those Maui air guys so relevant when they're surfing at home, and conversely makes the airs at glassy three-foot Karamas look pedestrian. I wouldn't be surprised if the airborne tour locations shifted in future years to places like Main Break, where it can run simultaneously while the CT event runs at the box. Imagine that. Very little downtime for viewers, shorter waiting period required, much more drama. Anyway, I digress. This roving venue concept, having both the box and main break as options, is awesome. And it's different than going to Winky from Bells or Duranbaugh from Snapper. Winky is still a right-hand point break like Bells, and running at D-Baugh is always a downgrade from what we hope to get at Snapper. The box, on the other hand, is a freak show of a wave that tests competitors' metal like no other wave on tour. But before we got to the box, Rounds one and two, which by the way, I'm just going to ignore uh, the, ver- the seating round vernacular and continue to call it rounds one and two until they just change it back, which they ultimately will. So rounds one and two for both the men and the women ran in head high surf at main break. But guess what? Nothing spectacular happened. We lost six surfers across the men and women, mostly wild cards and names that are inconsequential to the title and all at the cost of two full days of competition. The longer I do these recaps, the more clear it becomes that the tour is too cumbersome. Too many surfers requiring too much time and resource for moments that ultimately won't ever be viewed again. 
for all intents and purposes, the event really began on day three at the box, and it did so in spectacular fashion. It was the pinnacle of everything we want in a surf contest, high drama. It proved a huge separation in the talent gap. It verified that otherwise world title threat Felipe Toledo still has a hole in his game. It validated why we all love Jadson Andre. And it reminded us that even the best surfers in the world are humbled by mother nature, which just felt relatable. It also allowed us to witness a savant feat performed by Idolo Ferreira. Having never surfed the box previously, Idolo studied videos, visualized, and he practiced his technique three hours prior to his heat start, standing on his board on his mattress in his hotel room. Meanwhile, waves were kegging on the reef, and fear and anticipation culled most of the men's tour into the lineup for a rare chance at some practice at this daring wave. Leonardo Fioravanti dislocated his shoulder in that free surf at the box, and the box reaffirmed how challenging and dangerous it is. Eventually, they called on the event, and world number three, Idolo Ferreira, paddled out into that first heat. A set marched into the lineup. Chasing it from behind, Idolo committed. The wave lurched to a square eight feet. Idolo stood up in a panic, staring at his feet while he knifed the drop with his front foot way off placement. This misstep projected him too far into the flats, where he made an instantaneous and critical adjustment to barely correct his footing and his line. Barely slid behind the lip up into the middle face of the heaving barrel. We all assumed at this point that the heroics had ended. Nobody is qualified to regain the composure required to actually do the hard work of navigating the labyrinth of the box's barrel. And yet, Idolo emerged from the spit, gliding over the steps, and let out a huge scream of relief. The drop was weightless. He had one chance and really one inch of margin to set his rail off the bottom. It projected him into the perfect line in the barrel where he stood backside without a grab, all the while absorbing tons of chatter on the face through his legs. All of this was in whiteout conditions amidst the spit, and then he just got blown out. It was the first wave he has ever surfed at the box and arguably one of the best backside waves we've ever seen surfed there, period. In what might be the biggest judging error of 2019, he was awarded with an 8.17, the best 8.17 I've ever seen. He went on to trounce solely Bailey. He would ultimately lose in the quarterfinals against John John Florence, but his performance at the box will live on much longer than the implications of that result. Gabriel Medina, normally known for robotic consistency and composure, did not exhibit the same confidence that we're accustomed to. He charged a couple of big ones at the box, but just dropped in and locked in and not very deep, and then heavily claimed a 5.4. It was a lot of flexing for a lesser performance than what we had witnessed in literally all four of the previous heats. His opponent, on the other hand, a sponsorless Kiowa belly, went deeper, weaved his way through challenging sections over foam balls, alternating into brief soul arches, and then would just casually kick out. It was poetic justice for the second wave of the heat where Kayo had priority, but Gabe blocked Kayo's ideal paddling line and Kayo subsequently went late, free fell, cartwheeled at the bottom, and then got sucked over the falls. Gabriel Medina continues his slide out of the top 10 down two spots into 12th. 
Kayo, on the other hand, became the positive differential for everyone's fantasy team. He was surfing in the event as an injury replacement for Adriana de Souza, as he has been all year. He himself was injured in 2017, sat out for 2018, and with only two injury wildcards available for 2019, he was relegated to not compete when those were given to John John Florence and Kelly Slater. It was bad luck for Kayo, but he ended up surfing all four events so far this year, and his performance at main break will likely ensure that he'll be the first replacement as we proceed through the season, which has Mikey Wright injured and still Adriana de Souza for the unforeseeable future. So Kayo looked equally comfortable at the box and at main break, and more importantly, he looked super comfortable despite who his competitor was. He was all over the lineup, and his high energy never ceased, and it also never compromised his style and graceful flow once he was up and riding. After taking out Gabriel, he beat Kelly by a full four points at main break, and Jordy by just two one-hundredths of a point with just less than four minutes left on the clock. It was high pressure. He was totally unfazed. He's sponsorless. He's not on tour. He has everything to lose. And yet, Kayo smoked everyone but the best. He ultimately lost to John John Florence in the semifinals, a surfer who he has beaten more often than not. But Kayo leaves Australia in 20th position, headed to his home country of Brazil. All eyes were on Kelly Slater after his blistering performance at Karamas. He revisited that form in the elimination round two with a pair of eights at main break, and then expressed a giddy excitement to surf the box where he was lucky to draw William Cardoso. It took them both over 25 minutes to post meaningful scores, which were only meaningful in their heat. They were both low fours. Kelly then clinched it with an insane 5.83 double up, which he claimed pretty hard. Um, it was a ninth place finish at Margaret's, and it leaves Kelly in ninth on the rankings, headed into Brazil, an event that he has opted to skip in the past. The most thrilling heat of the event was Jack Robinson's heat nine of round three against fourth place Felipe Toledo. Jack is a local and he entered this event as a wild card. He's so local, in fact, that he checks the surf each morning with a drone that he launches and operates while still in bed at home. That is not a joke. And Jack's local prowess is well known and completely undisputed. Everyone was expecting to see something special from Jack, and he delivered nearly beyond expectation. As in the days of yore, when Kelly Slater and Tom Curran would enter the lineup and the clouds would part, the sun would come out, a double rainbow would appear on the horizon, and dolphins would begin frolicking, Robinson is similarly attuned to the ocean around Margaret River. The biggest, widest, longest waves of the day came straight to him, the first right at the start of the heat. He surfed it to an 8.5 and then three minutes later backed it up with a 7.6. Within five minutes, Felipe was comboed. Three minutes later, an even better wave approached. Felipe Toledo had priority, but he didn't even make an effort for the wave. He paddled straight over it, let Jack spin and go, completely uncontested, and Jack posted a 9.27. With 10 minutes left, he did it again for a 9.3. Strangely, those four waves were the only of their kind seen throughout the event. The box obviously is a slab, but Jack's waves peeled down the reef. They looked more like backdoor than they did the box. Jack's would have smoked 
anyone in that heat except maybe John John, but it cannot be overlooked that Felipe only posted a 6.73 combined heat total. Each season, there is one heat where Felipe is put on the spot to prove that he can compete in scary reef break barrels. He's improved over the years. I remember a low tide heat at Chopu where he just sat on the shoulder without even paddling for a wave, albeit modestly injured. The following year at Pipe, he got barreled, but again, just taking off on the shoulder. Now he looks comfortable in scary surf, but just comfortable. He's not confident, and he's definitely not a threat to anyone. And the world title is reserved for those who are. Jack Robinson has equal prowess at main break, but unfortunately for us viewers, he also illustrated the difference between a CT surfer and a non-CT surfer. Talent is not the difference. Showcasing that talent on command in a variety of conditions consistently over the stretch of an event is the difference. After posting an early 7.1 in the first minutes of the next round at main break against Seth Moniz, Robinson simply bogged and fell for the next 25 minutes. He got the waves he needed, plenty of opportunities, and simply did not capitalize. Jack's performance of the box will long be remembered, and his goal is to qualify for the CT in 2020. He's committed to the QS this season, where he currently sits fifth. He has all the natural talent to stand alongside John John, but he'll need to learn to evenly distribute it throughout the course of an entire season of varied conditions and moods. My favorite moment of the entire event, and maybe the entire season thus far, was seeing Griffin Colapinto get sucked over the falls and Barton Lynch not being able to contain his laughter. Griffin had bagged the highlight of all the warm-up sessions, and it went viral on social media, so we were all expecting fireworks from him at the box. He was matched up against his mentor, Chloe Andino, who is having a banner year and is desperate to assert dominance over his grasshopper. They jockeyed for position for six minutes, Griffin insisting on being inside and deeper. Kaloe pulled back on one, and Griffin took one additional paddle before attempting to pull back by sitting upright on his board and pulling the reins. He went straight over with the lip in the worst way possible, on a six-foot squirrel while sitting on his board. Barton tried so hard to give an earnest recounting while watching the replay, but couldn't stop the intermittent giggles. It was perfect. It was unbridled. It was relatable. So human and so unscripted. It reaffirmed that the ocean humbles us all. We've all had that happen. Certainly not on that big of a wave, on that dangerous of a reef. We've all had it happen, and we know the horror of the feeling. And we also know the pure morbid comedy of seeing it happen to a friend, which Kaloe did. And Griffin actually got sucked over on another wave too, um, although not while sitting on his board. He eventually found his feet and posted a pair of sixes. The heat ended up being super exciting to watch. There's a real tension between those two competitors, but Kaloe got a sick wave. He surfed it to a nine to win the heat. Kaloe did make a priority mistake at the one minute mark, and Griff got the opportunity at a potential 10-point ride, but couldn't quite navigate the 12 steps in the face of the wave mid-barrel. Chloe went on to defeat Owen Wright, Seth Moniz, and then Julian Wilson in the semis. Kanoa Igarashi came off a win in Bali and executed the exact same strategy at Margaret, doing a variety of four turns on his forehand, aiming for a mid-range sevens. 
and it continued to work up until he actually fell in his round of 16 heat against Ryan Callanan. Blaming somebody for falling seems like an obvious critique, but it's actually quite unusual for Kanoa. A lot of surfers fall, but they will also make two waves of heat, and that can be enough for them to get through it and for us to forget about their falls. Kanoa's got a way tighter game than that. He doesn't waste energy. He's exacting and he's sure-footed. Many surfers have multiple weak points and various wheels can fall off at any time in a heat. Various elements need to align for them to make heats. Kanoa, it's a totally different game. His game's just way tighter. His equipment's always dialed. He picks the right waves. He surfs them to their potential. And he doesn't make priority mistakes. Falling is really his only real concern. Everything was aligned for Kanoa to beat Ryan on the final wave of the heat. He blasted a first turn and then blew tail on the second turn as the wave folded on a weird boil and Kanoa just went down on the landing. He entered this event in second place and he leaves Australia in fourth. That's three ninth place finishes and one first. The women never got a chance to surf the box. Their entire event ran at main break. Event favorite... Courtney Conlog, with a newly stickerless board, never really found the form that she has shown in past years. She's riding a, a larger board than seemingly everyone else, and it's something that has helped her here in the past and also helped her to that 10-point ride at Bells. This year, however, the waves weren't really that big, and the bigger boards seemed to inhibit her ability to react quickly and to get the same torque that she normally applies. She lost to Tatiana in the quarters. From the beginning of the event, Caroline Marks, Lakey Peterson, and Carissa Moore all looked destined for victory. Caroline faltered to Sally Fitzgibbons in the quarterfinals, and Sally's been a perennial second-place finisher over the years. With the same beautiful fundamentals of all the women who have bested her, but she lacks that extra gear. It's power for Courtney, a seamless grace for Steph, and then progression for Carissa and Lakey. I'm always rooting for Sally because her work ethic is unreal, and she's arguably the finest athlete on tour. But the competition for the title is too fierce to not have a show-stopping point of difference in your surfing. I'm going to suggest that Speed could be Sally's ally. Nobody has branded Speed on the women's tour. Maybe Silvana is the fastest by default, but she hasn't really branded it in the way that Mick did on the men's side and Felipe stole the baton from Mick and has made his own. Sally has the physique and the repertoire of maneuvers. Connecting it all faster than any of her competitors, it could be her angle to stand apart and access that fifth gear. She too was beat by Tatiana Weston-Webb, who, if we're being honest, got a couple of gifts in this event. Tati made mistakes in every heat she surfed, just not quite as egregious as her opponents. By contrast, Carissa Moore and Lakey Peterson surfed error-free with confidence and conviction, even when they matched up against each other in the semis where Lakey beat Carissa by less than two-tenths of a point. Lakey's highlights, however, came in her quarterfinal heat against Stephanie Gilmore. First, when she jammed a very critical vert maneuver that she then transitioned straight into a bottom turn and then straight into a torqued frontside gouge. It was a two-turn combo that net her a 9.8. She then backed that up with a 9.03, leaving Steph comboed for the highest heat score of the event. 
shirking the concern that she had left it all in that heat and with the benefit of a day's rest, she delivered a similar combination of turns to another victory against a formidable Carissa Moore in the semis. In the final, Lakey met Tatiana Weston-Webb. Tati again had moments, but also foibles, and only posted one meaningful score despite having multiple opportunities. Lakey wasn't required to surf as critically as previous heats. She found softer waves with safe sections, nursed some cutbacks, and completed her rides for a 13.33 heat total. Her first final and win of the season, moving her up two spots into sixth place, Stephanie remains in first, and Caroline Marks remains in second as we head to Brazil. The men's final followed and saw Chloe Andino against John John Florence. I haven't given John John enough talking time yet. Suffice to say, he's won here twice in the past and redefined how this wave can be surfed in his 2017 performance. This year, he delivered on all of our expectations yet again. He did it at the box and at main break. He employed that same forehand rail carve that we saw in 2017 and then again this year at Bells, but in a much tighter turning radius on this year's smaller canvases. He blitzed waves with a speed and venom, thank you Barton Lynch, that his opponents simply cannot achieve. Once he faced the added challenge of Idolo, John John added a dirtiness to his otherwise comfy and casual approach. It was a classic example of peaking at the right moment and showing a point of difference from his earlier surfing, an added desire, and a level that, simply put, no one else is on at main break. This roving venue format allowed for a wide variety of very good, very difficult conditions, and it ensured that the winner was the most complete surfer on tour. John John Florence left no question that he is that person. He sits in first position on the rankings with a 6,000-point lead over Chloe Andino and a 7,000-point lead over Idolo Ferrer. The Oi Rio Pro starts on June 20th for both the men and the women, where Stephanie Gilmore and Felipe Toledo are the reigning champs. We'll see you there.